Welcome to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. My name is Jeremy Walker, and this week we're reading sermons 283 to 289 in the New Park Street pulpit, breaking from volume 5 into volume 6. If you're following along, yes, we're now into the sixth volume and the final volume of the New Park Street pulpit. Uh, Our next volume will begin the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit series. The featured sermon this week is number 289, and it is entitled The Minister's Farewell. It was delivered on the Sabbath morning of the 11th of December, 1859, by Charles Haddon Spurgeon at the Music Hall, the Royal Surrey Gardens, and it was the last time that he was going to preach in that place. Now, right at the end of the sermon, there is this note, that at the commencement, at the beginning of the service, Mr Spurgeon said, quote, The service of this morning will partake very much of the character of a farewell discourse and a farewell meeting. However sorrowful it is to me to part with many of you, whose faces I have so long seen in the throng of my hearers, yet for Christ's sake, for the sake of consistency and truth, we are compelled to withdraw from this place and on next Sabbath morning hope to worship God in Exeter Hall. On two occasions before, as our friends are aware, it was proposed to open this place in the evening, and I was then able to prevent it by the simple declaration that if so, I should withdraw. That declaration suffices not at this time, it's not enough, and you can therefore perceive that I should be a craven to the truth, that I should be inconsistent with my own declarations, that in fact my name would cease to be Spurgeon if I yielded. I neither can nor will give way in anything in which I know I am right, and in the defence of God's holy Sabbath, the cry of this day is, Arise, let us go hence, let us go from here. So Spurgeon is concerned for the sanctity of the Lord's day, the Christian Sabbath, and because he feels that uh, preaching in the Royal Surrey Gardens Music Hall, uh, not in and of itself, because it's a building like any other, but by perhaps giving the impression that it's okay for it to be uh, shared with a a godless situation, with a a godless entertainment, uh, that he would rather then walk away and say uh, that it would not be consistent for him to uh, preach in that place any longer. So there's something of a burden upon that man. And At the same time, he comments in the sermon that he has been extremely unwell uh, for a season. And that's, I think, very evident, the pressure that he's under. uh, If you didn't know that he was sick, as you read through it, perhaps if you're you're trying to mark out the structure, you will see that there's uh, not the same kind of clarity of thought, uh, not the same uh, structure as is often the case. It seems to be bubbling up. It's not that it lacks logic. It's not that it's careless. It's not incoherent. But there's a a, a sort of a natural flow from the preacher's heart, as it were. It doesn't have quite the polish that it might sometimes have. And under the pressure then not only of his sickness, but this being his last opportunity perhaps to speak to some, you've got this bubbling up sense of truth, this earnestness that presses down upon his soul. 
He's preaching from Acts 20, 26 and 27 that uh, the Apostle Paul had said to the Ephesian elders who'd come to bid him farewell at Miletus, I take you to record this day that I am pure or free from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you all the counsel of God. That's not egotism. It was a fact that he had, without courting the smiles or fearing the frowns of any, preached the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, as taught him by the Holy Spirit, and as he had received it in his own heart. Oh, says Spurgeon then, that all ministers of Christ could honestly challenge the, the like witness, could, could say the same kind of things. And he wants to do two simple things. He's going to consider this apostle's solemn declaration at parting, and then, in a few solemn words, he'll take his own personal farewell. So, I call you to record. I want you to, to acknowledge that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Spurgeon says we're struck by the declaration of the apostle concerning the doctrines he had preached. The whole counsel, all the counsel of God, the entire gospel not dwelling upon one doctrine to the exclusion of the others, but his honest endeavour being to bring out every truth according to the analogy of faith, that is, everything in its proper place and proportion in scriptural perspective. He hasn't magnified one doctrine into a mountain and diminished another into a molehill, but had endeavoured to present all blended together, not mixed up in a mess, but like the colours in a rainbow, as one harmonious and glorious whole. Now, he's not claiming that he's never done anything wrong. He has doubtless sins to confess in private and faults to bemoan before God, says Spurgeon, sometimes had failed to put a truth as clearly as he could have wished, but he could say this, that as a, as a preacher of the gospel, he had not willfully kept back a single part of the truth as it is in Jesus. And we need to do the same, says Spurgeon. If we're going to be clear in our conscience by delivering the whole counsel of God, we must take care that we preach in the first place the doctrines of the gospel, the grand doctrine of electing love, the Father's love toward his people from before all worlds, his sovereign choice of them, his covenant purposes concerning them, his immutable promises to them must all be uttered with trumpet tongue. Coupled with this, the true evangelist must never set, fail to set forth the beauties of the person of Christ, the glory of his offices, the completeness of his work, and above all, the efficacy of his blood. Whatever we omit, this must be in the most forcible manner proclaimed again and again. That is no gospel which has not Christ in it, and the modern idea of preaching the truth instead of Christ is a wicked device of Satan. Nor is this all, for as there are three persons in the Godhead, we must be careful that they all have due honour in our ministry. The Holy Spirit's work in regeneration, in sanctification and in perseverance must be always magnified from our pulpit. Without his power, our ministry is a dead letter and we cannot expect his arm to be made bare unless we honour him day by day. Boosh. You're almost finished there, couldn't you? That is a beautiful statement of the doctrine of the gospel in all its Trinitarian excellence. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
every one of them and all the distinct operations in which they engage and in which each is united with the others so that Christ as the Saviour of sinners is set forth under the influence of the Holy Spirit that men may come to know God in his saving mercy. It's a beautiful summary of what it means to preach the gospel. And, says Spurgeon, we need also to make sure that we, we're going to hit home some of those disputed points. He says that you cannot can be considered to have preached the whole gospel unless you preach election as, uh, as one of God's revealed truths. It is the minister's duty, beginning from this fountainhead, to trace all the other streams, dwelling on effectual calling, maintaining justification by faith, insisting upon the certain perseverance of the believer, and delighting to proclaim that glorious covenant in which all these things are contained, and which is sure to all the chosen blood-bought seed. Do not throw doctrinal truth into the shade, says Spurgeon. Preach the gospel. Preach as a Calvinist. Preach the, the truth that is contained in the scriptures. Do not tone anything down. Do not dilute anything. Don't try and soften the, uh, the lines. Don't try and shave off the edges. Don't attempt to square the circle. Preach the truth plainly, simply and pointedly with regard to these doctrines. Preach so that your hearers will know whether or not you're preaching a scheme of free will or a covenant of grace. I think you can almost imagine Spurgeon saying, whatever you believe, as long as you believe it, preach that. Now, he's not saying it doesn't matter what you believe. What he says is, at least be a man of conviction. And for him to be a man of conviction is to preach the sovereign grace of God as it is found in the scriptures. Wonderful. But the flip side of that, and especially given some of the assaults that Spurgeon is under, not enough to preach doctrine, we must preach duty. We must faithfully and firmly insist upon practice. And again, how much we need to hear that in our day. When we preach nothing but bad doctrine, there are people who will admire us. When we begin to preach responsibility, then there's a cry of inconsistency. How can these two things stand together? Preachers today are accused on the one hand of uh, being uh, legalists, on the other side of being antinomians. Spurgeon says you preach the whole counsel, you preach the free grace of God and you preach the demands of holiness. If, if a man is not faithful to his own conscience, how can he be considered faithful to God who can simply preach the doctrine of sovereignty and neglect to insist upon the doctrine of responsibility? Yes, the promise in all its freeness, sureness and richness, but also the fact that holy living must be preached alongside happy living that the preceptive part of the gospel, the commands of God, the um, imperatives of the gospel, the, the, the duties are as much a part of the gospel in its value and beauty as the promises or the indicatives or the substance of God's finished work. A holy life must be constantly insisted upon as well as that simple faith which depends for all on Christ Jesus. This then is what is involved in preaching the whole counsel of God. You must preach the doctrine that God has given. You must preach the duty which God requires. 
and you must be very particular about the crying sins of the times, the, the representative sins of the age. I think, again, Spurgeon is really oh, pressing the buttons for, for pastoral ministry today. The honest minister does not condemn sin in the mass. He singles out separate sins in his hearers and without drawing the bow at a venture, not, not leaving the matter to chance entirely, he puts an arrow on the string and the Holy Spirit sends it right home to the individual conscience. He speaks so that his hearers feel that there's something for them in the ministry, a reproof for their sins, an exhortation which they ought to obey, something which comes pointedly, pertinently and personally home. So you cannot just make vague statements about sin or grace or salvation or obedience. You need to bring the matter home, close and hard. You see the shepherd at one hand, one time rather, with his crook in his hand, gently leading his sheep into the pastures, and anon you see him at another time with his sword drawn, doing valiant battle against the enemies of Israel. He is the shepherd of the sheep. He is the defender of the flock. He will strike down sin. He will expose it within and without the congregation. He who would be faithful, says Spurgeon, and preach the whole counsel of God must imitate the Apostle Paul and preach as Paul wrote. Spurgeon then asks a question, and, and again, you, you can hear these thoughts just bubbling up out of him. Is there any temptation which arises to the man who endeavours to do this? Is there anything which would tempt him from the straight path and induce him or put him under pressure not to preach the whole counsel of God? Absolutely, says Spurgeon, and you've got no idea what it is to preach the gospel if you have not sometimes trembled for your minister. Because if you say one thing, you're cried down for that. If you say the other thing, you're cried down for that. You preach doctrine, you preach duty. The people who want you to preach doctrine will be offended when you preach duty. The people who want duty offended when you preach doctrine, they will fire at you from both sides. You'll be a rank Arminian, you'll be a hyper-Calvinist, you'll be a legalist, you'll be an antinomian, you'll be anything and everything depending on what that person is het up about. And says Spurgeon, that kind of pressure, that kind of criticism, that thought that this one or that one is going to be on your back and in your ear and sniping away at you as soon as you say the one thing or the other, it makes it hard to hold fast and preach the truth. That it's it's a great temptation to hold a little something back, to, to turn just a little aside, to step away from the straight path and narrow just for a moment in order to avoid that kind of antagonism. So do understand that the preacher is there to preach the whole counsel of God. And while, yes, it's possible that we should uh, preach one thing to the exclusion of others, and that's not right. Nevertheless, the whole truth needs to be set forth. And though some may cry you up and some may cry you down, nevertheless, that is the, the, the pattern of our ministry. And then again, uh, this temptation not to declare all the counsel of God, you feel impelled to preach the whole truth positively because it, it and it alone can meet the wants of man. 
So you've got this pressure not to declare parts of the truth. You've got this conviction that this gospel alone is what sinners need. Spurgeon says, I cannot imagine a more ready instrument in the hands of Satan for the ruin of souls than a minister who tells sinners that it's not their duty to repent of their sins or believe in Christ, and who has the arrogance to call himself a gospel minister while he teaches that God hates some men infinitely and unchangeably for no reason whatever, but simply because he chooses to do so. Now, Spurgeon's trying to shoot down the hyper-Calvinists of his day here, what he calls a distorted, mangled, man-moulded gospel. He says it does damage in the church, it does damage in the family. You need to hear the whole gospel or your souls, your spirits will become marred with bigotry and bitterness. Of course, he's going to do uh, the same thing with regard to the Arminian gospel, so-called. But here his particular concern is those who are kept in bondage through a neglect of gospel invitations. Men and women, boys and girls, who feel their sin, who are longing to be saved, who go up to the house of God crying for mercy and hear nothing but predestination. And then on the other hand, multitudes kept in darkness through practical preaching. Do, 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 nothing but do. And the poor souls come away and say, of what use is that to me? I can do nothing. Oh, that I had a way shown to me available for salvation. Spurgeon's point is that preaching the whole gospel supplies everything that everyone needs, again, in its proper place and proportion, all in scriptural perspective, in order that souls may be pointed to Christ, drawn to Christ, and may know what it is to live before him, trusting in him and working out their salvation with fear and trembling. And so says Spurgeon, you need to get this whole picture. Preach the whole counsel of God. And this is where he says, I've been so extremely unwell for the last two days that the thoughts which I'd hoped to present to you in better form have only come tumbling out of my mouth in far from an orderly manner. And there is a, a lack of order. There's a, a lack of that normal, tight structure. But there's no lack of earnestness, no lack of passion in the preacher's soul. And so Spurgeon comes to his own experience. A very few earnest, sincere and affectionate words by way of farewell. And he really begins with confession. How often he's come in weakness, gone away in sorrow because he has not preached as he wished. He hasn't prayed as he's wanted to. He hasn't uh, pleaded as he could have done. But he says, at least I can stand before you and say this. I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. If in anything I've erred, it's been an error of judgment. I may have been mistaken, but so far as I have learned the truth, I can say that no fear of public opinion nor private opinion has ever turned aside me aside from that which I hold to be the truth of my Lord and Master. I have preached to you the precious things of the gospel. I have endeavoured to the utmost of my ability to preach grace in all its fullness. I know the preciousness of that doctrine in my own experience. God forbid that I should preach any other. If we are not saved by grace, we can never be saved at all. If from first to last the work of salvation be not in God's hands, none of us can ever see God's face with acceptance. I preach this doctrine, says the preacher, not from choice, 
but from absolute necessity. For if this doctrine be not true, then are we lost souls. Your faith is vain, our preaching is vain, and we are still in our sins, and therefore we must continue to the end. Spurgeon is, you can hear the passion in his soul. I have bidden the sinner come to Christ. I've been urged not to do so, but I couldn't resist. With bowels yearning, he means with his, with his heart reaching out over perishing sinners, I could not conclude without crying, come to Jesus, sinner, come. I can't preach the truth without invitation. You can hear some of the battles in the background. I'm not going to pass over the texts which teach objectionable doctrines. I've brought out the truth that I may have neglected at another time. If I've left something out on one occasion, I've preached it on another. I have not withheld anything that is needful. And Spurgeon now is righteously getting in the faces of the congregation. If you plunge into sin, at least say this one thing for him who desires nothing so much as to see you saved. Say, I have been honest to you, that I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. He's coming down now from his own experience. He's pressing home into their souls that they know this truth. If you laugh at me, he says, if you reject my message, if you despise Christ, if you hate his gospel, if you intend to be damned, yet at least give me an acquittal of your blood. Oh, it's hard to, to sit thoughtless and careless under such ministry as this. Spurgeon saying, if you're going to go your own way, at least do me the honour of saying that I've warned you from it. If you're going to rush into hell on your own account, then at least give me the, the, the dignity of saying that I threw myself between you and the pit. Oh, preachers need to be able to speak like this. Spurgeon says, when I lie a dying, let me have the favour of knowing that you have cleared me of the blood of all men, that you know that I have been honest with you. And he says, I've preached not once to the crowds in this vast building, but many thousands of times I have spoken, and my position would be the most awful in the whole universe if I were not faithful. He's preaching as a man who wants to be clear in his conscience before God and men. And so he closes, pray, pray for your pastors, pray for your ministers, and how much we might say the same thing today. If you're a Christian, pray, do pray for me if you have a moment that I may declare the whole counsel of God. Pray for the pastors who stand in the pulpit where you worship him. Pray for the men who go out into the streets, Pray for those who go out and knock on the doors. Pray for the parents who are pleading with their children. Pray above all for those whose task it is, whose vocation from God is to make known the whole counsel. For we depend upon the help of the Holy Spirit. And if it's not for the prayers of God's people, then we will not know the faithfulness that we need and we will not obtain the power that we desire. It's a little thing, says Spurgeon. Just say, Lord, help your servant to win souls to Christ. Ask that he may be made more useful than he's ever been, that if he is in anything mistaken, he may be set right. Spurgeon's not asking that you put your pastor on a pedestal and presume that he never makes any kind of error. He's praying that you would bring him to an ever deeper knowledge of and an ever more profound conviction of the truth and that God would help that servant of Christ to proclaim that truth. 
if to agonize with God in prayer, says the preacher, if to wrestle for the souls of men is to be abused and if to be abused and not to reply, if to suffer all manner of rebukes and slanders, if this be rest, take it, sir, for I shall be glad to be rid of it. I do ask that you would pray for all ministers of Christ, that they may be helped and upheld, maintained and supported, that their strength may be equal to their day. And pray not only then for the preacher, but pray for others. Pray for yourselves and pray for the men and the women who listen to that word and are not touched. Oh, we need to plead with God for this blessing from heaven that the preacher and the hearers may alike under the sweet influences of the Holy Spirit feel the force of the truth, the one to declare it in all its fullness and freeness and the others to receive Jesus Christ as he is set forth in the scriptures. So implore the Spirit of God, says Spurgeon to lead many in this crowd to full confession, to real prayer and to humble faith. And if they've never repented before, may they now turn to Christ. Oh, sinner, your life is short, he says. Direct address now. Death is hastening, but believe on Christ and you shall be saved. I don't know if you've ever heard a man finish his ministry. I don't know if you've ever heard a, a pastor who's moving on to another place. I don't know if you've ever heard a man who's conscious that his speech may be his last. I don't know if you've uh, ever heard a man who's being thrown out of a congregation. But what a sermon to preach. What a truth to declare. And what a testimony to bring. If we're preachers, may God help us to think about what it truly means to preach the whole counsel of God, to hold back nothing that is needful. And if we're hearers, May we not uh, complain or repine or resist or uh, assault or undermine, but rather pray that we and others may hear truth from that man and that when we do, it will bring sweet blessing to our needy souls. That was a sermon on the minister's farewell. When the time comes for every minister to die and for every congregation to bid goodbye to their minister, May they be enabled to speak in that way, both of what they have said and of how they have prayed. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll be back again next week, God willing, to hear more. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeremy Walker, and From the Heart of Spurgeon is a podcast from Media Gratii. For more resources like this, including a biographical film of Spurgeon's life and labours, visit mediagratii.org.